0: On today's show, the Hawks fall in Boston by a 10 point margin and the latest on Jim Johnson's wrist injury. We'll get into all of that and more coming up. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1597 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Sunday evening into Monday. And today's podcast is brought to you by FanDuel. And right now, if you're a new customer, get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's $150 in your pocket if your team wins. Visit slash locked on to get started. Also, at the top of the podcast, I should tell you to make us your first listen each and every day here at Lots on Hawks, and also plug the show from last night, which was a fun conversation about the Hawks-Wizards game, with the exception of Jalen Johnson injury, which we'll come back to later on. It's been very busy on this podcast in recent days, and please subscribe to the show anywhere you get your podcasts, places like Apple and Spotify, as well as YouTube on the video side. And today's show, we'll be diving into what became a 113-103 to road loss for the Hawks up in Boston, their first time playing against the Celtics since last year's six-game playoff series, which, of course, went in Boston's favor. This is the Hawks losing for the first time in three games and now falling back to 8-8 and on the season. Atlanta, coming into the night, was a significant underdog in this game, about a a 7.5-point underdog, according to our friends at FanDuel, even if, and I, I would say even with, Boston playing without two of their key guys in Porzingis and Drew Holiday but with no Jalen Johnson for the Hawks. And I would say importantly to keep in mind always on this kind of stuff, because it gets glossed over sometimes in certain corners of the basketball internet, a very, very difficult schedule situation for the Hawks in this game, a back-to-back with travel from Washington to Boston, an early tip off on Sunday as well. So even less rest with a six o'clock start and Boston had not played since Friday afternoon. So they had they had full rest at home and look, Boston is really good. Even without two key guys, Boston has the best record in the Eastern Conference this season. They are unbeaten at home this season. And that goes back to last year, too. But they were awesome at home last year. Um, so all that said, like the loss here is not particularly surprising, nor is it particularly damning, in my opinion. But we'll talk about all of what transpired in this game, as we always do. Again, the Hawks were 7.5. Underdogs lost this game by 10 points. They were basically within you know 8 to 12 points for the entire fourth quarter. So it was basically exactly what the projections indicated. In this game with a little bit of changes on the margins, of course, and by the way, at the end of this podcast, the last third of the show or so will be dedicated to Jalen Johnson, who got an injury update today on the podcast. We'll talk about his impact and uh, basically him not being there and the impact that it has about the game as well tonight. And then we'll come back at the end of the podcast, talk more about Jalen. So stay tuned for all of that at the end of the show. But first, we'll dive into the game itself. And while there is a lot of discussion and I'll have some of it coming up in a second about the defense and particularly the defensive glass in this game, because it was pretty bad on that side of the floor at times. in that one particular area for me, this game was lost by the Hawks on offense. They had a 104 offensive rating in this game. Look, Boston is very well coached. They're very good defensively. They executed a very high level, but they were not their best without Drew and Porzingis. And, Look, 104 is not going to be enough for the Hawks to, to win most games this year. This is an offense-first team. I would even argue even more so without Jalen Johnson, an offense-first team. And the Hawks need to score at a much higher clip per possession than they did in this game in order to win, especially against a team like Boston who's very, very good, of course. And look, without a three-point line, the Hawks would have been totally dead in the water. They actually shot 19 of 53. They made 19 threes in this game and lost by by 10 points. Um that is the Hawks' season high and three-point makes in a game. And if all you knew about this game coming in was the Hawks were going to make 19 threes, I would have felt pretty good about it. But nothing else really went well. But I'll, I'll say this. the only shot only, I should say, in quotation, quotation marks, 36% from three. And that isn't special, but they did outshoot Boston. And again, they made the math work because of all the attempts. So again, a season high and makes. And the most three-pointers attempted in a game by the Hawks since December 10th of 2019. So they were bombing in this game, and that's what Quinn Snyder wants in a lot of ways. And look, they kind of had to because nothing else was happening on the positive side of this game offensively. The Hawks made more threes than twos in the whole game, and that was the first time the Hawks have done that in about two and a half years. They shot below 50% on twos, only had 34 points in the paint in this game, and had basically nothing going to the rim throughout the contest. They actually made shots at the rim. They were 8 of 10, but 10 shots at the rim, according to Clayton in the Glass, is a comically low and bad number. They did take 25 non-rim twos, according to Clean the Glass. That's shots in floater range and long twos. They did not shoot well on those shots at all. Part of that was Murray had a really rough night. He was probably the worst culprit across the board on offense for this game for the Hawks. But they had more turnovers, 16, than assists, 15, in this game. They missed seven free throws, although four of those were were Capella, but still, like, it's still not, you know, Trey Trey missed three free throws in this game, something he doesn't usually do. They did pretty well in transition along the way, but... They just didn't have the, the dynamism in this game. Look, it was more than one guy, for sure. But on a night where DeJounte Murray goes 2 of 13 and basically just does nothing for you offensively without Jalen Johnson, Sadiq Bey was just middling. Um, the centers did very little on offense in this game. It was really a three-man attack for the offense. And those three guys played so well that it was uh, they were able to kind of, kind of stay in touch. But the Hawks have had kind of been predicated this year. In addition to having Trey Young, who's an awesome offensive initiator, they've been really good with balance this year. They've actually had several games where they had six seven even eight guys in double figures and tonight that number was three now granted those three guys all had 23 points or more but there was very little balance in this game it was those three guys and very little else we'll have more stats on that later on in the podcast but look offensively that was they were the problem on offense in this game not those three guys who who shot the ball well in this game but the the Hawks are an offense first team I know I always say that it's repetitive I get that if you're a, a listener to the show every single day but when you remember that, this is a team that has to win on offense. That's, that's the way they're built. That's the way their talent leans, especially without Jalen Johnson. And they just could not score at a high enough level in this game, despite the fact that they shot pretty well on threes. Nothing else went well for the Hawks on offense. Defensively, I would argue they did their job on the whole. Again, there are specific things to, to go, sort of go into that. But they had a 113 defensive rating. That isn't great, but that is perfectly fine Especially in the context of a road game against Boston on a back to back, like again, if you offered me that number with no other contest coming into the night, if I was the Hawks, I would probably would have taken it because normally the Hawks score more than that per possessions, even against a good defense. They held the, they, they held Boston in check the second half, especially they had they held them to forty four points after halftime. They forced turnovers after halftime, and I thought they legitimately stiffened in the second half defensively. Now Boston missed some shots too, which is always part of the deal on in the NBA. You know teams make shots no matter what, but. The biggest issue defensively was the glass. So I teased this earlier, but the Hawks gave up 18 offensive rebounds to Boston in this game. Boston had a 35% offensive rebound rate. So for some comparison, if you don't know that number, like a really, really good team on offensive rebound has about a 30% offensive rebound rate. 35% would be like league leading number. And that's where Boston was in this game. And that's where the, actually they kind of slowed down a little bit in the fourth quarter. It was, it was above 40 for most of the game. Um, that was really the only area if you look at the stat sheet or even with the eye test, that Boston really, really excelled on offense in this game was the glass. And that led to an overall possession advantage for the Celtics, which certainly was part of the why this game broke the way that it did. Um, we'll come back to it later, but there was a defined split as well in Atlanta's rebounding with Capella versus Akongwu on the court. I actually thought, this is actually a key point to keep in mind, because I'm, I'm going to rail on Akongwu's rebound a little bit later on the podcast, but I thought Akongwu was probably better than Capella on the whole in this game. Now, when I say that, the Hawks could not get a rebound with Capella off the floor. In fact, the numbers are as stark as they possibly could be. With Capella on the court, the Hawks had an 81% defensive rebound rate. That means they grabbed 81% of missed shots by the Celtics with Capella on the court. That is an elite figure. That is a beyond league-leading, awesome defensive rebound rate. All right, keep that in mind. With Capella off the court, meaning the Congo was on the court, the Hawks had a, 50, a 50% rebound defensive rebound rate. That means Boston grabbed half of their own missed shots with Capella off the floor in this game. And that is like league worst by a million level. So it isn't that simple, but in this game, it kind of was with Capella out there. They were good in that area with Capella off the floor. They're bad in that area. And that's been, that's been a problem for a long time. This is obviously the outsized version, but Capella is a great rebounder. A Congo really isn't at center. And this is an area where I want to stop right now. Jalen Johnson is the team's second or third best rebounder depending how you, it's either him or kongwu it's capella by a lot and then it's johnson and a kongwu and they play together a lot that really helps the kongwu i've talked about that a lot in this podcast it johnson is like a perfect partner for a kongwu because of a lot of different things but especially because of that rebounding and that size without johnson they just could not get a rebound with capella off the floor now there were other things that happened and it wasn't just a kongwu like as much as i have I like a kongwu a lot. I'm very positive about a kongwu. His biggest weakness defensively is his rebounding because of his size limitations, and I get all that. It was not just him. So, like obviously, these splits make it look worse than it was. He was doing his job in a lot of possessions. If you watch the game back, and I have now watched the game again, a second time, a lot of it, at least part of it, was not on him. There was not a lot of help around him. Again, not being no Johnson being there. They're very small on the perimeter now, everywhere, basically. But it was still kind of stark, and the eye test, the eye test, matched the stats and all that stuff. But like I said, the Hawks did a pretty good job overall in this game defensively. Those extra possessions definitely hurt them, but they held Boston to below average shooting. They didn't really foul a lot. They didn't. They did a pretty good job in transition in this game, but it just wasn't enough because Boston, like Jason Tatum, had, had a big game. He had 30, he had 34 points. They kind of uh, lost Jalen Brown a few times. Al Hofer had a couple possessions where he made some plays, but um, you know, when Nemus Ceda is beating you on the opposite glass, yeah, it, it hurt them. Like that wasn't again. That wasn't the only thing. In fact. If you look at the on-off splits, it wasn't like, it wasn't like they got killed with a Kongwu on the hole and were great with Capella. It was not that at all. That was just the one area where a Kongwu's led defenses could not get stops. The Hawks actually were worse than shooting, def- shooting defense with Capella. All that said, offense was struggling in this game. That was the reason why they lost this game, in my opinion. Number one was the offense. If you pick a side of the floor that they struggled more on, it was the offense, not the defense. But uh, in this game, offense and defensive rebounding were probably the two broad areas where they lost this one, and uh, there you go at this point in time. All right, we'll have more on this game as well as a and Johnson update at the end of the podcast. But first, and we're from our friends at FanDuel. Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. And as the weather gets colder, the NBA and NFL offers stay hot at FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. If you're a new customer, you get hundred dollars in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 in your pocket if your team wins beyond the perks of signing up with FanDuel right now. They have all the stuff you're looking for in the sports betting space. They have over-unders and money lines and point spreads and player props and future bets and... Live betting, same-game parlays, it's all there for you at FanDuel. The app is safe and secure. They cover the entire range of sports as well. That includes the NFL, college football, NBA, WNBA, college basketball, golf, tennis, soccer, auto racing, and many more. And they have all kinds of stuff about the Hawks as well. Hawks are back on the the floor on Tuesday. They will have your pregame lines for that, as well as once the game is going, they'll have live betting, player pops, all that stuff is there for you. And now is the best possible time. To sign up at FanDuel is FanDuel.com slash locked on. Check out the official sports partner of the Locked On Podcast Network with an offer that you will absolutely not want to miss. That is FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. All right, we'll breeze through the game flow in this one a little bit shorter than usual on this segment because of the Jalen Johnson update coming up later in the show. But the Hawks were down pretty much the entire way in this game. And that was a result of a 12-4 run by Boston at the outset. In fact, the Hawks never led all the way through the game. So that tells you a little bit about the way this game flowed. It was never out of control, but they were never in control either. It's kind of ironic. The Hawks turned the ball over only twice in about two and a half quarters on Saturday. And tonight, they turned the ball over twice on two possessions to begin the game. They also missed five of their first seven shots. Um, they made a nice run in the first quarter. Capella had two big blocks in the same possession to kind of end that run. And Trey, Trey got loose a little bit with his shooting. A lot of focus on the rotation in this game with Jalen out. Um, Sadiq, Bey, Sadiq Bey had two fouls in the first three or four minutes actually came out of the game um AJ Griffin came in earlier than usual and uh, he was the first sub in this one he came out a little bit later than that when Bill Donovich came in the game and uh but generally speaking it was kind of what I expected it to be rotationally without Jalen um nine guys played the core seven that always play when you factor in Jalen being the eighth and then they played Griffin and Wes Matthews and that's probably what I would have guessed would have happened in this game uh AJ played 12 minutes Wes played eight minutes actually left the game I'm not really sure why at this point no update there but um, they basically played 48 minutes of either DeAndre Hunter or Sadiq Bey at the power forward spot, which we'll come back to later on in the podcast when we talk about Jalen. But it's kind of what they have to do right now, given their available talent. Um, there was a rookie official in this game that I know my friend Bob Rathbun was noting on the Valley Broadcast was not um, popular on the court. He gave a couple of technical fouls early on this game against the Hawks. Atlanta um, was down by 12 in the first quarter. As many as there, they actually hit five threes, as they did a lot in this game. Uh, Trey had 13 in the first quarter. They did have a couple runs early on. Again, it was bogey, and it was Trey flying around, making shots. Um, I thought Wes Matthews gave him good minutes in the first half. He was pretty physical without being at, with actually at fouling. Um, he's pretty adept defensively at just kind of being an irritant, and he's a pro and a veteran, and something that, stuff, that stuff is kind of what I like about him in a lot of ways. Um, he held up in switches. He bothered Tatum a little bit, etc. Um, they were down again 12 again. Uh, they gave up an 8-0 run in the middle of the second quarter after some defensive communication problems. They had a couple like small, small action problems against Boston's defense on the perim- Sorry, Boston on the perimeter. It was unclear what the was doing a few times. Uh, and same for San same for Bay, those guys were probably the weakest links defensively when they were out there at different times. And I thought Tatum got loose a little bit when when West Baptist was not on him in the first half. They were down by 17 at one point in the first half, down 16 at the half. And look, it's a bad sign when the Hawks make more threes than Boston in a half and lose by 16. That's really tough to overcome. Um, Trey had 20 and bogey at 100 made shots, that was kind of it. It was one of the worst halves and then honestly one of the worst games, if not the worst game of the season for DeJounte Murray. He was a problem on both ends of the floor in this one, I thought. And then uh, both Sadiq and A.J. struggled as well. Um, look, being down 16 at the half on a back-to-back against Boston, they could have lost this game by 30. Like in the NBA, sometimes teams will roll over at that point in time. That didn't happen. That, that did not happen in this game, which is a credit to the Hawks. I should just note that now. Anyway, um, they were still down 20 early in the third quarter. There was an awful possession with about 10 minutes to go in the third quarter, where the Hawks turned the ball over on offense by throwing the ball out of bounds. It was, it was a dead ball turnover, and then there was a normal like delay to have the ball thrown in. And the Hawks were just for whatever reason just digging back on defense, and they allowed um, an open dunk. And that that just can't happen. That's one of those like mental fatigue things. I know Quinn talked about that after the game. Like it's more mental fatigue than physical sometimes on back-to-backs. And that's certainly going to be the case at that point in time. The one big run the Hawks had in the third quarter was a 16-3 to push to get the lead down to six. There were four threes in that run. Bogey and Hunter leading the way there. They had a five-point possession with the help of a clear path foul at one point. Um, This is a crazy set of stats. So at one point late in the third quarter of this game, the trio of Trey Young, DeAndre Hunter, and Bogdan were 20 of 33 from the floor and 15 of 24, which is 60% or so, from three-point range. Right. Bogey made his first eight shots, had 23 points on eight shots. So all that said, those three guys were unconscious. Right. Everyone else on the team at that point was six of 30 from the floor, 20%, and one of 14 from three. So if you want to know how just heavily reliant they were on three guys, there's your stat for the night. Um, the Hawks were kind of substituting a lot. They were still down by 20, but got, about, got it down to eight at one point. They took 18 threes in the, in the third quarter alone. That was the most of the quarter all season long. Um, Bogey and Hunter actually outscored Boston in the third quarter, 22 to 21. That's pretty impressive. Um, it was back and forth the entire way. And actually, the fourth quarter, for as much as this game was like kind of close, there were basically no fireworks in the fourth quarter. It was kind of weird. In fact, the Hawks trailed by between eight points and 14 points the entire fourth quarter. It was there was never a run either way, it was just that exact window. It was more stark, the Hawks were down by between nine and 11 points for five and a half minutes in the middle of the quarter like nothing just nothing happened in the fourth quarter. It was just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. They actually closed with the Congo playing the final like 16 and a half, 17 minutes. Um, they definitely tried to win this game. They pushed hard, bogey played a lot in the second half, Hunter played a lot in the second half, traded trade played a lot in the second half. I think, I think, actually, Trey. Hunter and a all played the entire fourth quarter. Like they were trying to win this game and push really hard. They got to like eight in the last minute or so. It just never got close because they just couldn't string shots together because offensively it was um, as it kind of was the entire game. But actually, the fourth quarter was 21. It was 23, 21. Like it was pretty ugly basketball in the fourth quarter. The Hawks did well defensively. They just couldn't, they could not make, make enough shots and kind of the, the magic from earlier in the game of Trey, particularly bogey. Those two guys were so hot early on. They both cooled off a little bit, especially Trey, in the second half, and uh, no run was coming for Atlanta. All right, before we get to Jalen, I'll talk about the player stuff in this game real quickly here. Um, nine guys appeared, which I talked about earlier. Wes Matthews, eight minutes, two points. Um, good defense, but like he was just fine. I-, I think you'll see him a lot. In fact, they paired him extensively with Sadiq Bey. So when Hunter was off the court, they tried to put Bay out there with Wes which I actually like that idea because Wes Matthews, while he's not tall is the most physical and strong of their wing defenders other than Hunter and Bay. So given how small they are and they are very small, which we'll talk about again in a second with, with, with Johnson, I think the recipe of when Hunter's not out there, who's their best defender on the wing right now, at least getting Wes out there with Bay is all they can do at this moment in time. So that was at least notable to me. AJ Griffin actually had a weird night. 12 minutes is most in a while. Did not score, 5 from the floor, 4 rebounds and an assist. Actually, was plus 7 in his minutes. Kind of funny. He actually had at least two big rebounds. I thought that was that were notable. I think he did, I think he competed defensively, which is usually his problem. The shots will fall for AJ. I don't really worry about that. Um, I, I I think that he will play consistently with Jalen out of out of the game. He'll make more shots than this. It was just kind of a weird up and down game for him. Akangwu again played the most minutes at center in this game, 27, four points only for him, three rebounds, two steals and a block. I thought his all court game. Was pretty good, actually. But offensively, there th- was just nothing around the rim for this team in this game. And then on the glass, which you talked about earlier, just again, three rebounds for him individually is not great in 27 minutes. And the team got murdered on the glass when he was out there. But I think, again, the numbers were actually better with the Kongwu on the whole for the team. On defense, which is kind of funny, you would expect that after all that I talked about with the rebounding, Capella and Kongwu were equally, the, the lineups, I should say, were equally that on offense with both guys on the court. It was actually the defense. They got more stops because basically when it comes down to Boston made more jump shots when Capella was on the court and when a was on the court, they missed more shots and got all the rebounds. So that's the short version. Uh, bogey was the most productive bench player in this game. 23 points. He actually made his first eight shots, missed his last four. So he was, he definitely cooled off. He was seven of 10 from three though. Seven, seven rebounds. Can't really ask for much more than from that from bogey. He was unconscious in this game for a large portion of it. Again, he had 23 points on his first eight shots. Hard to do. Um, to the starters, quickly here, um, Capella, four points, eight rebounds, had two blocks and a steal. I think defensively he did his job in this game. Offensively, it was not very good from Clint. Um, missed four or five shots around the rim. I think at least two of those were like just tip-ins kind of things. Missed four free throws as well. So he didn't play very well, I didn't think. I thought, I thought he gave them good minutes at times in the first half. He, he didn't play much at all in the second half, actually. They, they rode the move for a long period of time. But it was clear on the glass that they kind of had to have Clint. I thought he played pretty well defensively at times. But offensively, it was a rough one for Clint. And that kind of led to, you know, again, less spacing, all that stuff. Sadiq Bay was rough. Uh, Game worse, minus 16. Seven points, eight rebounds. Um, No turnovers is solid. But offensively, he didn't give them a ton. And defensively, it continues to be really kind of a mess. I I don't mean to bang on this drum too too much. But Bay's defense has been a struggle this year. And it will continue to be, it seems like. At this point in time, Um, positively, DeAndre Hunter had 24 points on 15, sorry, 16 junior possessions Hit five threes. He has shot the ball well now twice in a row. I thought he played well in both games this weekend um, after some struggles before that. So he's never been consistent. That's been the case so far this season. But I thought he was good in this game and was definitely helpful defensively. Yeah, he was kind of he was I would say. Not great. But I thought he did his job and played 40 minutes. And look, that's going to happen a lot. Without Jalen Johnson, he's going to have to play a lot of minutes, and he will, and hopefully he'll be able to hold up through all of that. Uh, to the backcourt, uh, DeJounte Murray, I'm going to not pile on, but I thought he was pretty flat-out awful in this game, offensively and defensively. It was not only the missed shots, and look, he was 2 of 13 from the floor, oh, 6 from 3. He had 6 points in this one. Uh, I believe, yeah, he is 12 of 48 from the floor and 4 of 20 from 3 in the last three games. It's worth noting that DeJounte did get banged up and was on the injury report a few days ago with a right quad contusion. He ended up playing in that game against Brooklyn. I wonder if it's bugging him still. I, I don't know that to be sure, but the timing of that is curious because he's had his three worst games of the season probably in the last three games. And those were the three games after that injury popped up. So that's not an excuse. It's just kind of something I wanted to at least throw out there and note, but man, he was really bad in this game defensively too, like not attentive. Not, he didn't really create havoc. He did have, I believe no, actually no steals for DeJounte He's not a great sign. Usually um, yeah, he just didn't have anything going in this one. I don't. I don't mean to be negative, but if he if he plays an average game, the Hawks are right there. He was that bad, um, and I, I stand by that. And then Trey, kind of a tail of two halves. He had 20 in the first half and was very efficient. Second half cooled off quite a bit. Um, he's still been really good from three point range recently. He's 24 of 48 from three in the last four games. Even after he missed some in the second half tonight, he was six of 16 from three, which is actually fine. That's a lot of three point attempts, but that's a good that's good enough uh, ratio of making them. Uh, and I thought Trey played well. He wasn't as good as he was on Saturday, I didn't think, but had 33 points, seven, seven assists. He was not the problem in this game, let's just say. So all that said, again, I stand by it. Offensively, it was the problem in this game. They, they just could not score at a high enough level against a team that was missing two of its better defenders, but all told, a tough spot at the very least for the Hawks. I know folks and fan, I always hear from fans that don't want to hear about schedule stuff. I get it, but the reality of the NBA and people that are inside teams and inside the league will always point to this stuff. There are just nights where you are up against it, schedule-wise. This is one of those nights in that, through that lens. So to not get blown out, I think is notable in this one. But anyway, we'll have more on this game and probably you know all that stuff in the future. All right, from here, we'll talk about Jalen Johnson and the update there and details and all that stuff, the prognostication, the future, all that stuff in a second. But 1st it worth more sponsors on today's show. Today's show is brought to you by Prize Picks, and Prize is the largest DFS platform in North America, and also the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. You pick two to six players, choose to actually have more or less than a certain number of points, or rebounds, or assists or yards in the NFL, et cetera. And their projections are there at price picks one to 25 times your money on your entries and basketball season here. You also use and pick combo projections across football and basketball in the specials league, which the league created specifically to have combo projections that include two more players from different sports or leagues. They have a huge selection of sports and stat types that offer anywhere else at price picks. They have the NFL, of course, NBA, NHL, PGA, and many more. And they also have a reboot policy. Price is the only DFS platform with an injury insurance policy. And I've really enjoyed checking out price picks all year long. I really dig the NFL stuff, college football stuff, NBA, of course. I'll be there all year long. And on the whole, the PrizePix experience is really easy and fun. I highly recommend it to everyone who is certainly interested in the DFS space. And you can get there by going to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use promo code LockedOnNBA for a first-time deposit match up to $100. One more time, that is prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use promo code LockedOnNBA when you get there. Check out the other fantasy sports made easy with Picks. All right, we'll end the show with uh, some unfortunate update stuff on Jalen Johnson. So just a quickly reset for if you missed anything from Saturday. I know it's been a busy weekend for a lot of people. Not everyone listens to every podcast. On Saturday, Jalen Johnson suffered a left wrist injury in the first half against the Wizards in DC. It is his non-shooting wrist, his left hand, which makes it a little bit easier on the broad, on the bright side. But it did not look great. He was clearly in pain. Uh, he was sort of in a sort of you know, cast or whatever it was, a brace of some sort. By the time the game was over, he was up pretty quickly. All that stuff. Fast forward to today. So Sunday, late morning, early afternoon, Shams Sharani reported of The Athletic that Johnson is, is, quote, expected to miss four to six weeks, end quote, citing sources. He went on to report that the tests showed no fracture, which turned out to not be accurate. So keep that in mind. That was not an accurate report from Shams. Uh, He did report that there would not be surgery for Jalen. Keep that in mind. Um, He framed it as a best case scenario. I'm not sure I would say that, but I do think it's a very positive scenario, especially when you factor in what, what the results could have been after how bad that looked, it could have just been you know a multi-month season kind of challenging injury. So later, later, on, I'd say probably two hours later, the Hawks finally officially gave their um, prognosis on Jalen. So the Hawks announced that after MRI and after an X-ray, he's been diagnosed with, quote, a left distal radius fracture. So Sean, again, Sean's assertion that it, was, that it was not a fracture was not correct. It is a radius fracture um, for Johnson. The official timeline from the Hawks is three to four weeks before reevaluation. So that's sort of mean at this point in time. But as I always say, reevaluation does not mean return. So do not just start setting your alarm for three weeks from now. Um, that's reevaluation. That's the next time he will actually be looked at. He'll be he'll probably be you know casted up or banished. How you want to say that? Um, I have a suspicion that whoever told Shams the info that he gathered. Um, has the you know pr- the projected timeline from the Hawks of four to six weeks? The Hawks always list reevaluation timelines, or at least almost always. But again, the on-the-record reevaluation timeline is three to four weeks. Keep that in mind. I'll say this: this is really good news. Is it not? Maybe the hundredth percentile outcome, maybe not. But as far as it is definitely an above-average outcome based on how it looked and how it felt on Saturday night. With that said, four weeks is a long time. Four weeks would be like mid-December. The Hawks play twice in Toronto in mid-December. Then they play against Cleveland on the 16th. They have a home game on the 18th against Detroit. That's a lot of games in between now and then. Six weeks would be January 7th. That's a game against Orlando. The Hawks do have a five-game homestand in the middle of January, to keep that in mind. But And look, I will always be skeptical of timelines. I've been covering this sport and this team for long enough that you should not just expect a guy to be back in exactly the time frame. But the only thing that I am confident in right now, today, is that it's going to be at least three weeks. Obviously, I would expect it to be more than three weeks, but that's the absolute bare minimum by all indications at this point in time. So again, not a multi, you know, not three months, not four months, not five months, not not season ending. All that's positive, but it's going to be a while. And the Hawks, as we saw tonight, and you want to overreact to one game. This is, I I had a lot of these notes written down before the game started tonight. Um, They're going to miss Jalen Johnson. That's not really a breaking news topic, but uh, there you go. So rotationally, while he is out. I think we kind of saw you obviously the majority of what's going to happen in the game tonight. It's one game, you don't want to overreact to that. And Hunter played 40 minutes, it's probably a little bit um, aggressive. He won't play 40 every night. This is a Boston matchup that gave the Hawks fits. And I would have said this is a really bad time to be without Jalen Johnson. That that one game in particular, because Boston is based heavily on their perimeter guys and their big wings, and that's obviously the spot where Jalen would have helped. But you'll see a lot of Hunter. He'll play as much as he possibly can, I would imagine, between now and Jalen's arrival. Um, and I think as we saw tonight, you'll probably see 48 minutes in most games of Hunter or Bay on the court at all times, because they have to have someone to play the power forward spot. They don't have a lot of depth there. Um, that's an area where the Hawks, unfortunately don't have a ton of depth. Like they don't really have a third power forward. Like you could say it's a Kong Wu, but he's not really playing power forward. He's a really, he's really a center. Um, Muhammad Gay was their quote unquote third power forward. He's hurt right now. And also is a second round rookie, that I think by all accounts is not really ready to play at this point in time. So, It's a spot where they couldn't really afford a big injury. Let's just say that. Um, I do think that they're also going to result in more time for guys like AJ, who played tonight, Wes Matthews, who played tonight, even more from Bogey than usual, I would say. If he can handle it, he'll play a lot. And then uh, in certain matchups, I think you might see a Kongwu at the fourth. Okonwu, you know, against Boston, doesn't really help you a lot at power fourth. But in certain matchups like New Orleans or bigger teams that play, you know, Minnesota, Milwaukee, you would see that. We'll see. TBD. Uh, as far as the impact is concerned, I think everybody knows this by now. But for me, the bigger impact is on defense if I have to choose. We'll talk about offense in a second as well. And the absence hurts there as well. But Johnson's defensive skill set is really valuable. They don't only really have a placement for it. I've, I think some fans overrate how good he is in certain areas. Like as a stopper right now against like wings and perimeter guys. But he's definitely great athleticism wise. He's a good rim protector from, from the uh, backside. He's an excellent rebounder at the power forward spot, which came up tonight, obviously. I think he helps the Kong Wu there a lot with that. I think a lot of guys, again, who are in line for more minutes are not great defenders. A.J. Griffin, Buda Madanovich, Sadiq Bey are not good defenders. They're just not, and that is a big downgrade on defense. So on offense, Johnson helps them a lot too. Like I'm not saying that it's going to be just a one-way miss here. Um, I would say it's a little bit more impactful on defense, but offensively, he helps them a lot as someone who, who can attack the rim. We saw that in this game tonight, not a lot of rim attacks from the Hawks. Um, good ball handler, good passer at the power forward spot. They don't really have any of that either. They can put a lot of shooting on the court. You know, Sadiq Bey is a better shooter than Jalen Johnson. Not really up for debate. He is. Um, Bogdanovich is a better shooter than Jalen Johnson. But if you put those guys out there, you're smaller, you're not as good in other areas, and all that stuff. So, and also, again, the passing is really a loss. I think that's a, a not a, something you should you should just overlook about Jalen's absence. So, but it also puts more pressure on on DJ and Trey to have like the same kind of, on ball work that they had last year when the Hawks were kind of went out like Jalen's the kind of guy who unlocks a lot of that third ball handler stuff. They didn't really have before. That was one of the drawbacks of John Collins, as much as I like John Collins. He didn't have that in his game. De'Andre Hunter is not really a distributor or ball handler. Like he can kind of get his own shot sometimes, but he's not someone who's going to pass the ball a lot. Johnson's their third best passer. And that's a real loss for them too. So, uh, obviously it's a big loss. No big surprise there. I got a couple questions here at the end of the podcast about the Hawks uh, making a trade expressly to help in his absence. Of course, that's possible. I won't say that it's not, but it's not as easy as it sounds. Like, for instance, the Hawks only only really have one guy who is making real money and not playing. That's Patty Mills. Um, Obviously, you could attach Patty along with a a draft pick or two or something like that as a sweetener. But it's still really early in the season. Most trades do not happen in November and December. Um, It's not impossible by any means. Um, And look, they were already going to have to probably dangle Patty and picks to try to upgrade the team at some point this year if they want to make a push. And it'd probably depend on where they are in the standings, all that stuff. But I think that, and they probably would have, for me, pressed harder on a Jalen sort of fill-in kind of trade if the absence was longer. Like if, if the if the news had been worse, and you would say, okay, Jalen'll be back in March or April. Now you have to make the you have, you have to make a move, or we should have to try to make a move really hard. Right now, the urgency level, yeah, it's not great for a month, maybe six weeks. But I think that they won't have to do that. And look, if something falls in their lap, something falls in their lap. But like the time of the year. And also kind of what they have available to them where they are on the rotation, etc., makes it a little bit harder. Um, and also they don't have a, an extra roster spot. I saw people talk about like free agents. They don't have a roster, a roster spot. They have all their two ways are full. They have a full 15 man roster and yeah, they, they could cut a two way player if they wanted to, but like trying to find a two way can play for you right now, you know, etc. Cetera, et cetera, So we'll see. But I think that if I had to guess right now, the role of what they have, they are small. They are offense leaning in this backup group with all the guys I mentioned before, more of Bay is, more offense and less defense more griffins same thing uh more bogey same thing the only other guy that can can play more minutes is west matthews and even then he's not played more than like 11 12 minutes at any point this season and i think he's gonna be limited to how much he can give you he's their best defensive fill-in for him but uh he's 35 36 years old like it's, it's not like he can just pop in there and play 30 minutes a night so all that said the hawks also I also have one more uh trade exception they could use but that's again, you have to have a roster spot and you have to be able to spend the money and the tax and all that stuff. And that's another tough of the day. So I'll leave it there for now from here. The Hawks play on Tuesday in Cleveland. That's a in-season tournament game. The Hawks have a very, 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 very small chance to get out of the wild card spot. But regardless, that game does matter in the standings. It's a measuring stick. It's a tough game against Cleveland. We'll, t- we'll have more on that later on this week. And uh, I'll leave it there for now. So busy show, obviously full breakdown of the game. If you miss anything, on this game or anything else in the last couple of weeks, please subscribe to the podcast and just do that anyway. Apple podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. You should hop on board right now. I really appreciate all the support and everybody listening to the podcast on a regular basis. Um, Yeah. Twitter, Patreon. You can find my stuff in my bio at Twitter as well at BT Roland and at Lockdown Hawks for the show. Thank you everyone for listening to the podcast. We'll have much more coming up this week. We'll see you all next time.